So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And today we're ending this series called Circles. Uh, we've been in a six-week series and we've been looking at relationships and how we can um, have a healthy circle or a healthy circle of relationships, friendships around us. We've been looking at this aspect of what Scripture teaches that, that God did not create us, create us to do life alone. You were not created to do life alone. In other words, we're created to be in relationship with God and relationship with others. And so we've been looking at that over the course of the last six weeks and and, um, and, and, and we've learned that nothing ever is accomplished greatly uh, without, without relationships, without friendships. I mean, you, don't, you, you need friends, and you need healthy relationships around you. And so if you've been, if you've been watching the Olympics like, like we have in our home, that you know nobody makes it to the podium without a circle of relationships or friendships around them. Nobody makes it there all by themselves. And so there's some pretty powerful stories along those lines with Chloe Kim, uh, the, little, uh, the little 17-year-old girl that got a gold medal in snowboarding, and so she's going to, like, go to her prom with a high school prom with a gold medal. And so she's just so young. And in the story of her dad that relocated uh, to, to the United States of America so that her, she could pursue her uh, snowboarding dream and, and then the, the trips that they would make up the mountain, five hours uh, 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 he would drive her up uh, so she could practice, so she could work out. And then it was an amazing thing when she won the gold medal. Who could not stop watching her dad on the sidelines? I mean, it was like he could not get, he could not get to his daughter quick enough to celebrate that. And then, then you got Sean White, and Sean White talks about his family, he talks about his mother, he talks about his sisters. He, he talks about how much his dad has meant to him through some injuries and through some low points in his life. And he talks about friends and relationships, how they encouraged him to push on. You look at the story of Lindsey Vaughn, and Lindsey Vaughn would say, you know what, it was my granddad. It was my granddad who supported me. It was my granddad who gave me the dream of, of snow skiing, and, she, and, and so she did, a, she did an interview um, a couple of weeks before the Olympics uh, that aired during the Olympics of her and her granddad at her granddad's home, and her granddad would pass away shortly after that, that interview, and, and so she's dedicated her, her gold medal run to her, her granddad. You look at Micaiah or Michaela uh, uh, Schifrin, and you look at look at her her gold medals, and you look at her, listen to her talk about her mother, and her mother meant a great deal to her. It's like it's like her mother is her best friend and and her coach, and she supports her. And so when you when you begin to look at these Olympic stories, you realize nobody makes it to the podium alone. Nobody really makes it in life alone. And so we weren't created to do life alone. We were created to have relationships around us that encourage us and support us. And the question is, how do you develop those friends around you? How do you develop those relationships? How do you grow your circle? That's the title of this message is growing your circle. So how do you grow your circle in such a way that you develop those relationships around you? <clears throat> so Solomon in Ecclesiastes, and we'll look at Philippians, he says this about relationships. He says, he says Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9, he says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who, woe to him is, who is alone. Woe to him who does life alone. Woe to him or her who doesn't grow their circle and develop these relationships around them. And he goes on and he says, when he falls and has not another to lift him up, again, if, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. 
A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. How many times have we heard someone say in the Olympics or in life, I didn't do this alone. I mean, when I was at my lowest point, someone encouraged me, someone helped me. How many times in church have we heard someone say, you know what, I don't know how I would have made it through that season of my life, that crisis in my life. If my life group hadn't have been there, if my church family hadn't have been there, if those relationships hadn't have been there to encourage me and to support me. And so the question is, how do you develop friends like that? How do you develop relationships like that so that you grow your circle? Because it seems like, it seems like some people work harder at that than others. It seems like there's some people that have this, this circle of, the relation, of those relationships, and then some may not. So today I want to look at Apostle Paul's life, and I just want to give you just a little bit of context for this story. Paul is, is in prison in Rome. <coughs> He's been there for about two years. The church in Philippi was concerned about him, so they sent like two guys, two buddies, to be with Paul to encourage him to support him. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus and Timothy made the journey from, from Philippi to Rome. They're there. They're praying for him. They're encouraging him. They're supporting him through this. And then he begins experiencing some hardship, and the church in Philippi experiences some hardship. And so Timothy wants to go back. Timothy goes back to Philippi. And so you're, we're going to pick up the story in, in, in that place, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. So I want to give you, I want to give you four things that if, if you want to grow your circle, if you want to develop healthy relationships, healthy rela- uh, friendships around you, so that when you fall, there is someone to pick you up, there's someone to encourage you. The first one is this, that if you're going to grow your cer- circle, you must cultivate a genuine interest in others. You must come to that place that, you know what, you're genuinely concerned for others. You have a genuine concern or genuine concern for the interest of others. That's what life groups is all about. That's what ministry is all about. Philippians 2.19, here's what Paul says. <coughs> He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul Paul was a type A personality. And sometimes we look at the first of his ministry and we say, you know what, he was pretty hardcore. He didn't really care about people. But then when you, you, you learn that in Paul's life, Paul learned some things. And all of a sudden you realize that in Paul's life, there's like, there's like this change. And you realize that all of a sudden Paul became a very caring person. Paul developed a genuine interest in others and those around him. And all of a sudden the church in Philippi is having, having a difficult time. And he says, you know what, I'll send my good friend Timothy back to you because I know that Timothy can help you. And I cannot wait to hear the good news about you from Timothy when he returns. I mean, it's, it's like us in our day, like making a long-distance phone call, right? When you call in a mom or a dad or, or some family or a friend that's in another state. I mean, when you call them, don't you want to hear good news? Don't you want to hear a good report? How's mom? How's dad? How's the house? How's the family? How's the job going? Paul was, Paul was the same way. Paul was basically saying, I cannot wait to hear the good news. I cannot wait to hear the good report. See, Paul came to this place that he no longer cared, cared only about himself. He not only cared only about his struggle, but he, he, had a, he developed an interest, a genuine interest in, in others. And in your circle, if you demand people to listen to you all of the time, you demand people to listen to your misfortunes, your hurt, your pain, you will not grow a circle. Fact is, you will shrink a circle. In other words, if you want to grow your circle, you have to have a genuine interest in people. There's a story told of, of Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig was uh, the first baseman for the New York Yankees, and he died at an early age with ALS, the age of, of 37. 
June the 2nd, 1941, was, was when Lou Gehrig passed away. Lou Gehrig was in the final days of his life, and Lou had a, had a buddy, Bob Considine. Bob Considine was a, was a sports reporter, and they had developed a really close relationship. Bob called Lou and said, Lou, how you doing? And Lou says, you know what, I'm doing really good, because that was just who Lou was. Lou's like, you know what, I'm doing really good. The boys down at the lab, they've developed this new experimental drug, and so they chose 10 of us, and I'm one of the 10, Bob. And so they cho- chose 10 of us. They're trying this drug out on all 10 of us. And, and, and you know what, Bob, i got to tell you, it's working on 9 out of the 10. And Bob got real quiet and said, Lou, is it working on you? Lou said, no, it's not working on me, but Bob, it's working on nine out of the ten. What kind of averages is that? I am so happy for those guys. Maybe that's why Lou had this reputation. Maybe that's why he had a magnetic personality. Maybe that's why all of a sudden he had this circle because it is a rare person. It is a rare person cares more about others than they care about themselves. Paul was that way. Maybe that's why, why Paul had this magnetic personality. You can go through the scriptures and you can read Paul in his circle, over a hundred friends that he cared for, a hundred friends that he was in relationship with. Paul writes in Philippians 2.3, he says this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In other words, that's like treat everybody, treat everybody with respect. Each one of us should not only look at our own interests, but we should look on the interest of, of, of others. And a lot of times, that's what, that's what happens in, in life group. That's what happens in ministry. I've come up with two positives out of my life that I think that happens when you put someone else's needs ahead of your own. The first thing that happens is this. You forget about your own problems. Man, you've, you, when you minister to others, you, the attention is quickly diverted from you and your problems to someone else. I, I, I've watched people here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and I'm telling you what, sometimes it has moved me to tears. I've watched people care for others when they're, when they're going through crises of their own. When they're receiving chemo, when they're getting bad news from a doctor, when they're going through a personal crisis in their life, and you would never know it. And when they begin focusing on others, I'm telling you, God does something in their life. There's something about whenever you you get your focus off of yourself and onto someone else, it diverts the attention. And and God God works. God works in there. You know, a lot of times it helps us to know, you know what, I, I could have it worse. There is always someone in a worse position than you. And you know what? It helps us to put our problems, it helps us to put our issues in, in the proper perspective. Dr. Carl Menninger, who is a psychologist, was, uh, I was listening to a podcast, and it was an old podcast, and so a caller called in and said, said Dr. Menninger, I, I just got to ask you, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm sinking into depression. I feel like I may even have a nervous breakdown. What, what would you recommend? And, and so the, the, the caller, and even me listening to the podcast, I was thinking, well, you know, I, I bet Bob would recommend group therapy, meds, you know, whatever, and, and that's not what. What he did, he says, well, you know what, your first step. You know what your first step is? Go out and find someone in need and minister to them. He said, I believe that, that, that solid, sound mental health is contingent on an individual caring about somebody else's needs. Isaiah would put it this way, and Isaiah was, was no psychologist, but Isaiah said this in Scripture, Isaiah 58.10. Here's just an unbelievable promise for us. Here's what he said. 
If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. That, that's a terrible place to be. And make your bones strong. And you shall be like a, a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. I mean, what a great section of Scripture that says, you know what? If you'll give attention to the oppressed, if you'll give attention to people that, that, that are in need, and you will meet their needs, something will happen to you spiritually. Your, your, your gloom will be turned into like the noonday sun. You will be like a well-watered garden. That's just an Old Testament way of saying that all of your needs will be met, that you will walk with great peace in your life. But here, here's another positive that, that I've found when you, when you are genuinely interested in, in others is this, is your friends will reinforce you in a time of need. There is something that happens about that, that when you go through a crisis, your friends will reinforce you in a time of need. Uh, they'll, they'll care about you. You care about them, they'll care about you. When, when, when Karen and I and our family has gone through a, a crisis over this last year, I mean, it amazed us. It brought us to tears a lot of times the way people would, would minister to us and encourage us, whether it's emails, notes, cards, whatever it was. There's something that happens in that Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. If you want to handle the hardships of life, then you have to cultivate a genuine interest in others. Here's the second thing. If you're going to grow your circle, you have to offer sincere encouragement to others. You have to offer sincere encouragement to others, not fake, not flattery. We'll talk about that. Not, not because you have to, not because you're supposed to, but, it, it, but it, it's sincere. It's sincere encouragement. Because, listen, people can tell. People can tell when you sincerely encourage them, and people can tell when it's fake or when it's forced, right? And so here's what Paul says. It's such an interesting stretch of Scripture. He says, Philippians 2.20, he says, speaking of Timothy, he says, For I have no one like him who will, ge who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul is saying this. He says, you know that, Timothy? Timothy, I have no one like you. In other words, there's no one like you in the world. See, Paul had met Timothy when he was young. Paul led Timothy to Christ. Paul brought him into the ministry. Paul mentored him. And then something happened in Paul and Tim Timothy's relationship. And they, they, be they, became, they became companions they had this deep relationship. That's how you grow your circle. And so watch this. I, I just want to read this out of the New American Standard, the way they render this. Here's what they say. He says, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. Those two words are, are important. Who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. This is the only time in the New Testament Greek to where these two Greek words are used together. And it means this, same sold. We have the same soul. In other words, it's like God has knitted our souls together. It's like the friendship in the Old Testament of David and Jonathan. And the Bible says that the soul of Jonathan was knitted to the soul of, of David. That Jonathan loved David as, as, as he loved himself. And, and they had this deep, this deep relationship. Listen, let me tell you something. It is, it is rare when you find a, a kindred spirit. It was rare when you have this relationship. You can have a number of casual friendships and a lot of good friends. But if you have one same-souled friend, if you have one friend where it's like your, your soul has been knitted together 
in your life, then I just need to tell you, you're, you're blessed. And you're, and you're really blessed when that person is your husband or your wife. And it's just like, we get each other. It's like there's no need for much explanation. We just, we just kind of get each other. And Paul had that in Timothy. And it, it relieved the pressure off of Paul in ministry. And I believe one of the reasons that Paul had that in Timothy is because Paul encouraged Timothy. Paul goes on, and we'll, we'll just finish it, uh, uh, Philippians 2.20 and verse 21. He says, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. People want to feel unique. People want to feel special. And Paul was that guy. He's like, Timothy, there is no one in the world like you. And I am so fortunate. Like, you're my friend. People want to feel special. People want to feel unique. People do not want to be thrown into categories. Uh, That's why it is not helpful when people make comments and say, you're just like a man. You're just like a woman. You're just like a teenager. You're a typical Raiders fan. (laughs) I'll get off the Patriots. How's that? Somebody said, keep on. (laughs) But we want to feel feel special. We want to feel unique. And Paul's like, Timothy, there is no one like you in the world. And he was genuinely concerned for for his his welfare. And and Timothy was not on an ego trip. He was was more concerned about the gospel. He was more concerned about Paul's needs than anything else. Listen, one of the most demeaning things we can do to people is to to judge them or is to talk down to them or is to mock them, make fun of them, criticize them. They may forget your words, but they will never forget how you made them feel. They never will forget how they felt in your presence, how they felt in that. See, Paul was this guy that was genuinely concerned about about others, and he made others feel special when they were in his presence. Verse 22, he goes on, he says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how, how, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. He's like, you know this Timothy guy? He's like dependable. You see, Paul had a guy, John Mark, that Paul was like mentoring and developing. And when, when Paul went through a crisis, John Mark like bailed on him. John Mark like quit. John Mark like, like went home and left Paul in, 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 in a crisis. And so Paul's saying, you know what? Timothy's not like that. Timothy, Timothy will be side by side in a battle. Timothy will be with you in a crisis. He, he is a servant. He, he's not in it for himself. He's not in it for an ego. He's not in it for a power play. In other words, he looks for ways to assist me. If you want to grow your circle, if you want to deepen your relationship and your friendships, I'm telling you, you have to learn to be an encourager. You have to come to that place to be an encourager. And, and listen, this doesn't mean flattery, where you, where you don't just always tell people what they want to hear. If you go around telling people all the time what they want to hear, you look marvelous, you're awesome, uh, you're the greatest person in the world, that is not healthy. Healthy because people will come to the place and will begin to doubt whether you're sincere or not. Listen, flattery is not encouragement. It's disgusting. Here's what Proverbs 25, 26, uh, 16 says. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. In other words, flattery, flattery is not encouraging. Flattery is like disgusting. See, there's a difference between flattery and and, and slander. Slander is when you say 
something behind a person's back that you would never say to their face. Flattery is something that you'd say to a person's face that you would never say behind their back. Flattery is not encouragement. Genuine encouragement has to be backed with truth. It has to be backed with truth and love and that, and that you encourage someone and you support someone, but there's sometimes you have to speak the truth and love and sometimes there's, there's correction. When someone around you and your, your circle is facing a challenge, and you, you, you look at them and, the, and you say, you know what, I believe in you. I believe you have enough faith to get through this. You, you, can, you can do this. Uh, Proverbs 20, 12, 25 says this. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word, a good word makes him glad. Just a little bit of a, a personal illustration that, that, that comes out of, out of our church, and I'll, I'll be careful with the names, and, and I have permission to tell this story. About seven years ago, we started a journey together as a church family to Life Journal together. Life journaling is just a systematic way that we read through Scripture in a year. Uh, we pick our Scripture, and we make an observation, an application, and a prayer. People have been using this all different ways in our church. It's been amazing to see what God has done in our church when people got to the place they could just read Scripture for themselves and hear from God and then use that Scripture to encourage others. We have a guy in our church by the name of Wallace. Wallace had been life journaling for a number of years. He, he life journaled in his life group with, with the men in his group, and, and, um, and he had a friend that needed some encouragement. So Wallace says, well, you know what? Here's what let's do. I, he taught him how to life journal. He said, let's life journal together, and then let's every morning on our way to work, we'll call each other on our cell. We'll share our life journal verse. We'll share our observation, our application, and our prayer together, and then we'll go on about our day. And there were some times that they would end it that they, they would pray together depending on what they were going through. They did this over a number of months, and it, it literally encouraged both of them. And then the day came when Wallace called his buddy, and his buddy shared his life journal with, with, with Wallace. They hung up, into their phone call, went on about their day. A few hours later, Wallace's buddy's wife used his buddy's cell phone to call Wallace. Wallace saw his friend's name come up and expecting to hear from him. He answered it. He, he answered it. And in expecting to hear his friend's voice, it was his, wife, his friend's wife's voice. And so Wallace says, what's wrong? And she said, Wallace, I, I got to tell you, uh, he, he had a tragic death. He's passed away. And so she asked him, Wallace, to read her husband's last life journal entry, last prayer at her husband's funeral. And so I'd like to just read that to you now. And so here was a scripture. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, Hebrews 3.12. And then here's, here's his observation. Our hearts turn away from God for many reasons, yet he is always there awaiting our return. We need to make certain that we find ways to return to him instead of taking for granted that he will always be there. If we spend too much time and focus on our sin, we will be left in it and our hearts will become unbelieving. Here was his application. I want to stay in fellowship with my supports and maintain full focus on my Savior in all I do every minute of every day. I will remain aware of sin by staying engaged in Scripture and keeping my eyes and heart open to God's instructions. And there was, then here was his last prayer that he had written out. 
Thank you, Lord, for my ability to discern and choose you. I choose you, but I need help watching for temptation of sin and unbelief. Surround me with your angels and keep my heart and keep my mind and my heart focused on your word and all I do. Help me to encourage others in love and concern and all I say and all I do. You cannot imagine the encouragement that brought to his family. You cannot imagine the encouragement that that brought to Wallace. That Wallace was able to encourage someone, to support someone. I'm telling you, we use the word. We use the word to encourage one another. We use the word to speak into each other's life. We use the word to give a word to an individual. Anxiety may weigh a person's heart down, but a good word will lift them, will lift them up. You want to have friends? You want to grow your circle? Learn how to encourage. Learn how to, to sincerely encourage others. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I believe as, as the world becomes more and more wicked, the more we are going to need, the more the body of Christ is going to be called to encourage and support one another. The third thing is this. If you want to grow your circle... Practice an unselfish release of people. Practice an unselfish release of people. In other words, understand that guess what? We don't own anyone. We can't manipulate, control as hard as we do anyone. Ultimately, they belong to the Lord. Ultimately, they're a child of God. Ultimately, we can only steward our relationships with them. Philippians 2.25, here's what Paul begins to say. Remember, Timothy has already gone back to Rome or to Philippi from Rome, and all Paul has is Epaphroditus. And so verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Now here's an intriguing story about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, remember, had been sent to Paul to encourage and support him. Timothy has already left. And now Epaphroditus, when he got to Rome, he got deathly ill. Word made its way back to Philippi. Epaphroditus' family and church are praying for him. They're worried about him. It's not in a day and time of Facebook and instant communication and everything else. So they're wondering about him. Epaphroditus feels led of God to go back and talk to his family and let the church know he's okay. Epaphroditus comes to Paul, and Epaphroditus is worried, but he was worried that Paul would think he was quitting, that the people would think he was quitting, that he had come under huge criticism for this. And so he told Paul, he says, I feel led of God to go back to, to Philippi. You know what Paul told him? Paul said, don't worry about the critics. People are going to criticize you regardless of what you do. You do what God has called you to do. And Paul was mature enough to release him. And so Paul said, said not only that, I'm going to stand beside you. So I'm going to write a strong letter back to the church in support of you. Here's what he wrote in Philippians 2.26. He said, for, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete was lacking in your service to me. Paul had a healthy release of people. He didn't try to con control Epaphroditus. He didn't try to manipulate the situation, which leads us into the last principle. If you want to grow your circle, you have to learn to give your friends freedom. 
You have to learn to give your friends freedom. See, it would have been so easy for Paul to say, Epaphroditus, are you serious? You want to go home? You want to be like John Mark? Is that what you're trying to do? Are you quitting on me? You want to leave me in my greatest time of need? So Epaphroditus, Timothy has already had to go home, and now you're going to leave me? So who's going to support me now? Those pagan soldiers, those pagan jailers, are they going to pray for me? Are they going to encourage me? And he could have laid a guilt trip on Epaphroditus, but Paul didn't do that. Paul understood, guess what? If God is calling you to do that, then you need to follow through. In other words, he... Paul was able to give his friends, people around him, space or freedom. That is real maturity. It's this issue of unselfishness. Paul, Listen, Paul didn't make his friends tiptoe around the issues. If they did something he didn't like, if they didn't include him in, a, in on everything, he didn't pat, pout and act like they had betrayed him. Man, he supported his friends and he gave them a healthy release. Maybe that's why Paul had a magnetic personality. Maybe it was because he was secure enough in himself and in the Lord that he had a healthy release of people. That's really difficult for insecure, immature people to do. That, that's why I would tell you, if you're going to develop these friendships, you have to develop these friendships slowly over time. Man, if you have these relationships, you move slowly in relationships to where you develop trust over time. This... This, this, this applies to you who are single. Just don't always look for Mr. Mr. Right Now or Mrs. Right Now. In other words, if, if you don't have those deep relationships, be willing to have casual relationships until a deeper one develops. And the friends around you, don't make it all about you. And I'm telling you if, you, if you make it all about you, you're going to like shrink your circle instead of enlarge it. And can I just tell you, this principle also applies to parents with adult children. When your children leave home, you have to give them a healthy release. Listen, you have to move from a child to parent relationship to an adult to an adult relationship. And quite honestly, this is an area that Karen and I struggled in. We learned a lot along the way, and it, it took us years to move from a parent parent a child-to-parent relationship to an adult-to-adult relationship. But if you want to have a long-term health of the relationship between you and a child, as they, when they move away, you have to work hard at this. You, you have to let them go. You have to let them live out their dreams. You have to let them move away. You have to let them follow God and adopt that child and try to adopt that second child. You have to let them go on vacations. You have to allow them to make those financial decisions, buy that home, sell that home, take that job, not take that job, come over when they want to see you. Listen, if you don't, they will feel obligated and guilty, and one day they'll be resentful. You have to have a healthy release. Man, we've made a, we've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but our, our girls are now free to come and go. If they say that, you know what, we'd rather go see our friends instead of see you, that is, that is like okay for us because it gives Karen and I more time together. Our kids come over when they want to, and they come over when they run out of money. <laughs> that's, really, <laughs> that's, re that's really true. I don't know if I should have said that, but I just said it. In other words, don't man manipulate them. That if they don't do what you want, want them to do, don't make them feel guilty. Don't lay a, a guilt trip on them. You, you, you can do that. 
And you can try to manipulate them with guilt of coming to see you. But one day, you know what's going to happen? They're going to resent that. And they're going to begin to manipulate the same way you've manipulated them. Our girls choose to go to church in the springs instead of coming, driving to Pueblo and hearing amazing worship and sound biblical teaching. (laughs) That's their choice. And it's my choice to wipe them out of the will. Can I, <laughs> can I be honest with you? There's a real temptation for me to try to manipulate them and say, you know what, girls, I just got to let you know, we have people that drive from the Springs to come to Fellowship the Rockies. We have people that drive from Lamar, La Junta, Rocky Ford, Rye, Colorado City, Colorado Springs, mountain area communities. I just got to let you know, we have people that gr- drive greater distances than you would have to to come and see us. Not only that, our church would really love to see you on the front row. Sitting with their mom and dad, that would make us look good. So, uh, how about it? You know, it's interesting. We have policemen to curve the uh, effects of hate. But there is no one to protect us from those who are trying to smother us with love. You want to hold on, but you have to let them go. You laugh with them, you cry with them, you rejoice with them. But then you know when they come down the driveway to see you, they want to be with you. It's not out of guilt. It's not out of manipulation. They just want to see you. See, if you want to grow your interest, you have to come to that place to where you take a genuine interest in others. You, you get your mind off of yourself and onto others. You learn, you learn to be an encourager. You, you, you come to that place to where you're able to give relationships and friends some space around you. But before I close, I, I just need to tell you the rest of the story. Paul's life doesn't have a happy ending. A few years later, Paul is in prison again. And this time, none of his friends were there. Paul is alone. Here's what he writes in 2 Timothy verse 4, chapter 4, verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. This is maturity. May it not be charged against them. We don't know what happened to Paul's friends. Scripture does not tell us. Fact is, when Paul wrote that, he didn't know what happened to his friends. They may have gotten busy with their lives. They may have left the church. They may have been in prison and being persecuted for their faith. Some of their friends may have died. Paul doesn't really know. But Paul was, ha- was secure enough in himself and in the Lord that he says, may it, may it not be con- counted against them. And then verse 17, he goes on and he says, But the Lord, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the the lion's mouth. You, You know what that tells me? You better have more than just friends in your circles. Because as close as your friends are, they're still people. They're still imperfect. People will fail you. People will betray you. People will walk away. People will get busy and people will die on you. But there is one friend who will never leave you. There is one friend who is always faithful. And there is one friend who will live forever. And his name is Jesus Christ. And you better make sure. And you better make sure that he is in your circle. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?